right, folks. Well, you know you're in for a treat when you hear that tune because it's time for another edition of the Rec Poker Podcast. Uh, in case you don't know, Rec Poker is a positive and encouraging poker learning community uh, where recreational players like us can get together to learn together, uh, to beat up on each other in the Play Money home games, and to share our love of poker uh, with the rest of the poker world. Um, if you most of what we do here is completely free, so I have to start by thanking our sponsors, the Running Aces Hotel, Racetrack, and Casino, and of course, website AMP. And I have to also thank some of our premium members who really help us out a lot. We really rely on the support of our premium members. Um, $15 a month doesn't seem like a lot, but it makes a big difference to us. So folks like Mark Bloomberg, who's a fearsome competitor in our home games quite a bit, uh, and as often here in the winner's circle, and folks like Troy Chapman, who's uh, very active, uh, actively involved in our training discussions. And uh, Troy and I are working on a couple things that I think uh, the rest of Rec Poker Nation is going to be very excited to see um, very soon. But enough about that. Uh, I'm your host this week. My name is Jim Reed. I've got the best job in the world because um, I get to hang out here with the rest of the Wrecking Crew and talk to exciting guests in the poker world every week. Um, but I mention the Wrecking Crew because it's a really a team effort here. So if you want to find out more about me, you can go to rec.poker slash crew where you can hear about more uh, about the Wrecking Crew. And you can also just listen up because you're about to meet some of them right here. So I'm Chris Jones. You can find me 5b5 on Twitter or 5x5 on the Poker Stars home game. And I'm John Somsky. I am Poker Geek MN everywhere. I'm Kim Kilroy. <laughs> I'm Pat Bat, or Pat Bat 33 in most places, Fergie 56 in the home game. And I'm Rob Washam, and I'm Rabman 50 just about everywhere. You and know, Kim, that's my bit. <laughs> I'm the one that mutes themselves and starts talking. Yeah, no that's right. stealing my my humor material. <laughs> that's right, Kim. Quit mowing John's lawn over there. Uh, so we're about to start a fantastic interview with uh, Andrew Brokus, one of my favorite people in the world of poker. Uh, but before we do, I just want to make Make sure people know about Rec Poker Weekend coming up on June 24th and 25th. If you're in Minnesota, you got to get yourself down to Running Aces Hotel Racetrack and Casino. We're going to be doing a Rec Poker Tournament series down there uh, with prizes to be won, cash to be won. We're going to do a point series over the course of the different uh, tournaments in play. That's going to be great. Um, and if you're not around, but if you're down in Vegas on uh, Monday, June 27th, we're going to be get, getting together somewhere near the Bally's uh, facility at 10 a.m. We'll have a rec poker meetup for all the WSOP fans that are down there and get a chance to go and have fun and hang out with fun folks. Fun folks like Andrew freaking Brokus. Uh, it's not his first time on the show, but I am very excited to have him back. And if uh, folks stick around, if you're watching on YouTube, I encourage all our listeners to go go head over to YouTube for free. You can follow along every week and ask questions of our guests in real time. But you can also uh, win a prize. Every week we're giving away a prize of some kind. Uh, this week we've got a chance to uh, get a copy of Andrew's new book, Essential Poker Concepts Volume 2. And uh, we'll talk to Andrew a little bit about that as we get going. But Andrew, thank you so much for coming back on the Rec Poker Podcast, man. This is great. Thank you for having me. And while you're right that it's not my first time here, I believe it is my first time here with video. So Ooh, drink it in, folks. Drink yeah, in. that's right. Got to appreciate that beard and all its glory. Andrew, would you say that you're more famous these days for your poker skill or for the beard? 
Uh, I mean, it's really for the podcast, which, uh, you know, I, I guess a lot of people know about the beard, but uh, the voice is, I mean, it used to be, that was the only thing. Like when I was making poker videos and, and doing the podcast and before I, I was uh, photographed quite as often as I am now, um, no one would recognize me until I spoke. And then as soon as I spoke, I would you know sort of see the heads <laughs> turn and you'd know who was... <laughs> it's true it is a very yeah. it's a distinctive voice and i think you know the thinking poker podcast was one of the first serious podcasts that i started listening to and it's been a very formative influence on a lot of poker players of our generation so i think the odds of someone recognizing any podcast voice around the poker table uh yours is going to be at the top of the list um you recently uh well, we'll get into it a little bit. Uh, you've got a new co-host now. Nate Mavis is no more on the show. Uh, yeah, uh, official on the show. He, he is still. Yes, yeah, good he point. He's still here on the earth, as far as I know. <laughs> uh, so he, he, he's sadly no, that, missed. That's it, how course, you become so. the new co-host. You have to kill the old one. <laughs> <laughs> that's right yeah uh, poor nate he really should have read the fine print when you signed him up the first time but uh you know carlos really wanted the job and that is the only way to get it so yeah you these know, are dothraki rules on the podcast <laughs> nice nice uh, well let's start with that what's what's different um having carlos on as a co-host as opposed to having uh nate on as the co-host is there is the banter different is the way that you prep or record different uh how, what, what's different in the world uh, I think the biggest thing is just sort of fresh energy. You know, Nate and I had been doing it for a long time and um, Nate was, you know, when, when started, you know, he was still a, a very serious poker player. He didn't have any children. Um, he now has two children, <laughs> has a full-time job. Uh, is not really playing that much poker anymore. And I mean, I think he was still enjoying doing it, but he just didn't have, you know, sort of the, the, the time or energy and it did a lot to, you know, the, the pace at which the show was coming out was more slowly. I was doing more solo episodes and um, it's really been a, a great injection of, of fresh energy. You know, Carlos, we have our own dynamic. Obviously he had been a big part of the show prior to that. He was our most frequent guest. Uh, he was my personal favorite. And I think like our single best episode was the, the first time that we interviewed Carlos. Um, I sometimes say that like essentially the reason we started the show, even though we didn't know Carlos existed at the time, the reason we started the show was in order to meet Carlos. <laughs> um, but, you know, then he has, he had some of his own ideas. You know, I asked him like, well, who are people that you would like to interview? Because, uh, you know, I, I sort of have a you know, a long kind of vague list of like, oh, it'd be nice to talk to, to so-and-so, but having the impetus to reach out to specific people or to have him put other people on my radar who hadn't been on there or to bring back, you know, guests that we'd like previously to have that impetus to say, oh, hey, you know, you've been on our show, but you haven't had a chance to talk to Carlos. And it's such a, um, uh, yes, this is the same person as from uh, coaching Carlos on Tournament Poker Edge. Um, yeah, so it, it's, that's been really nice. And, you know, of course he has his own, uh, personality and, and relationship with poker and, and now he has a wsip bracelet as well so amazing uh, you know adding adding one of those to our repertoire is certainly a feather in the cap good point good point yeah and certainly couldn't couldn't uh, happen to a better guy either um now does he give you to the full credit that you deserve for launching him onto the poker scene because i know he was going to make his way onto it anyway but i feel like he really got his uh his first foot in the door uh, on the show uh, I mean, yes, he does. And I think also, like, I feel like getting the benefit of having him as a co-host, that's more than reward enough, you know, to, at this point, you know, I, I don't think he would dispute that, like, there was a time when I was more like a mentor 
to him. And you know, I think he has grown to the point where we are truly colleagues now. And like, you know, I, I'm still teaching him things, but he's teaching me things as well. There's plenty of things that he's better at than I am, or he has better insight into than I do. And uh, you know, I think that is one of the advantages of mentoring somebody is you're sort of raising up like this is the sort of person that I would like to have as a friend and a colleague. And when that pans out, you know, I'm I'm reaping the rewards of that now, which is wonderful. That's awesome. Well, that's great to hear. I'm sure it warms his heart because I know um, Carlos will be, of course, listening to this episode of the podcast, and it'll be nice for him to uh, to hear hear those kind words. Um, I will say, if you're listening in and if you're watching in on YouTube, feel free to type any questions you have into the chat, and of course, here on the panel, if you want to ask anything of Andrew, just unmute, and, and I'll call on you. Um, uh, yeah, I see Joseph is typing in there. And says, is Carlos going to be a guest on the Rec Poker Chats? Well, yeah, actually, Joe, we've had him on the show. And I think uh, we just have to have him back again sometime soon. So we'll have to make that happen. He is a fun interview. There's no doubt about it. Um, his passion for poker is just, um, you know, I mean, he's not literally a recreational poker player, but you know, so, so many pros, I, I guess I would sort of put myself in this category, get a little jaded or, um, and I don't think Carlos has that at all. I mean, he he really is just like, he just loves it. Yeah. Well, that's what we're all about here. You know, um, that amateur experience of the game, uh, loving the game itself. And um, yeah, I think it's, of course, it's kind of inevitable if you're playing professionally, anything you do professionally, the kind of enthusiasm, the shine might wear off a little bit. It's got to be less fun when it's work. Um, you, you talked a little bit about that earlier. Uh, what are some parts of poker now that you still get excited about or sort of get gleeful or uh, when you think about the game or the competition or I don't want to feed you but what kind of things like that are you so excited about I really enjoy it. I mean, I've always been a person who enjoyed doing puzzles. So like when I was a kid, I used to, used to be able to buy at the grocery store these books of like logic puzzles, which a lot of people consider like if you're taking the LSAT, for instance, you know, there's like logic puzzles on there and people hate them. And it was like a thing that I did just for fun, like <laughs> do logic puzzles, uh, crossword puzzles or that kind of thing. So that really is the enjoyment that I get from playing poker. And I think that if you want to, whether or not you're a professional, I think that if you want to be like a winning poker player, that's where your enjoyment has to come from. I mean, you're not going to be able to win money at poker and also kind of like ride the waves of variance and be like, oh, I'll just call to the river and see if I make a flush. This sort of like very, um, the, the kind of like gambler's mentality toward, towards poker, or that's just a very casual, like, oh, I'm just going to sit and have some coffee and chat with my friends and like not take a lot of risks, the like old man coffee approach to poker. I, neither of those things really works if you want to be, um, again, like you don't have to be a professional, but you do have to have that mindset of like, if I'm trying to win money at poker, then my enjoyment has to come from playing well and not from, uh, you know, playing mm. mindlessly or, or yeah, I mean, it, it, it can't be the same, which is a problem, you know, like a lot of the people that I coach are, they're sort of already somewhat successful recreational players. And they have the idea of like, well, I really enjoy doing this thing. So like, maybe if I just did it a little bit better, I could make money and also keep getting the enjoyment. And sometimes it's like you, some of the things that you enjoy, you're not going to be able to keep doing if you also want to make more money. You know? <laughs> um, it, there is going to be a little bit of a trade off where you're going to have to find new things to to enjoy, to replace those um, the, the, the joy of you know calling and trying to flop a set or whatever. Right. Although that is awfully fun. <laughs> well, that's um, so one question about enjoying poker. The World Series is here. Um, is kind of that annual experience that everyone gets excited about. Um, just before we went on the air, you mentioned that you're calling in from uh, Baltimore, which I know is home these days, and, and that you were actually not planning on making it down to Vegas for the trip this year. Uh, what made that decision for you? 
Um, I don't know if you guys have heard about there's this uh, COVID thing that's that's going around. Co what? So, yes, yeah. C O V I D. You can. Oh, I D. I have yeah. heard of that. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, obviously, this is uh, I've, I've fallen in a different place on this than than most of the poker community, and you know, I think we are at a point where people are. It's a kind of a question of of how you're valuing the experience of, of being out there, I guess. Um, I do follow the, you know, I try to follow a lot of like doctors and things on, on Twitter and get a sense. Cause I, I don't think we're getting great information now from the government in terms of where things stand. And uh, I do think there are a fair number of people who are like underestimating the, the risk of being out there, which isn't to say that it's necessarily the wrong decision for everyone to be out there. But and I can, I mean, I understand the fatigue that some people are feeling of just like, it's been two plus years of this and I just, don't want to think about it anymore. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think that it's not, I think the risk, like the, the likelihood is not high of, of having a sort of, obviously like plenty of people are, are getting it and not necessarily experiencing catastrophic effects if they've been vaccinated and whatnot. But, um, you know, on the other hand, like when you're playing a, a 8,000 to 10,000 person poker tournament, like you're banking on an unlikely good event happening to you, oh, right? Like you're not terribly likely to win the main event either. So like, <laughs> it seems a little weird to say, I'm just going to round to zero on like that the unlikely negative outcome, but uh, you know, the, maybe I'll win the main event. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> well, I remember uh, last year you were talking about how you felt like you were taking it a little more carefully than other people in the poker world. And um, have you started playing live at all, even in, uh, in America? Maryland or is it um, strictly I've, I'm back to not playing live. Uh, right. know, the rates are a lot higher now than they were even last summer. Right? I mean, the, the infection rates are kind of around the country are, are higher than they were. Um, so I, I have played live a few times in, in the last two years, but uh, I have not done so recently. Uh, Chris, jump on in there. Yeah, well, I, I mean, I guess, uh, Andrew, I'm kind of in the same boat as you. I've been been very cautious and very careful um, and for a number of different reasons, you know, family backgrounds and uh, you know some health things within my own family but but I, I am curious about are are you are you able to kind of are you able to play online anywhere are you able to kind of scratch that poker itch or do you get that anymore as a as somebody who's been in the poker world and played you know how many hands does it just so feel like sometimes that you can just take a break and it's fine or do you do you miss the game or do you find outlets to play right now both um, you know, I, I am, I'm playing on America's card room. The games on there are not fantastic. Uh, there are things that I enjoy about live poker that, um, you know, I, I definitely don't, when I was playing regularly, you know, if I was going three or four times a week, you know, I wasn't like itching to go every time that I went, it was a little like, you know, I guess the way I put it was I enjoy my job more than most people enjoy their jobs, but I enjoy playing poker less than recreation players enjoy playing poker. Like it is still a job. Um, so I wasn't necessarily, you know, like eager every time we were at the point now where, you know, I would downright enjoy going <laughs> to play live. It's been long enough. Uh, and there are people that I miss seeing and it certainly it's uh, the bittersweetness of not being at the WSOP. One way I think of it is like, like you win every tournament you don't enter. Like you're always thinking like, oh, I could have won that. That maybe that was going to be the one that I, I would have won. And you know, of course, you're friends with so many people in the poker community that it, it feels very available. You know, you see the people who win and you think, oh, I know that person. I know that person. I know that person. It's easy to put yourself in their shoes. I mean, there's a fair chance I'm saving myself tens of thousands of dollars by not, <laughs> not going out there. I'm, I'm trying to think of it in, in those terms. That's probably a good way to think about it. If only for your own mental health, right? right. <laughs> uh, we got a question from uh, Joseph here in the chat. It says that the WSOP is going on and a poker dealer color up resulted in them being fired on the spot. How could this happen? 
And do you have any similar outrageous, crazy, what the heck WSOP experiences? And I think, first of all, you know, that kind of stuff probably does happen more often than we know because they're throwing a bunch of new dealers in there and it's a new location and that sort of thing. But uh, uh, yeah, what's your take on that aspect of the tournament structure? Yeah, I mean, that's a tricky thing about the WSOP because it feels weird. It's, on the one hand, it's like, this is the premier poker event. You'd sort of think like, oh, well, all the best dealers in the country are going to be out there, right? Uh, quite the opposite, right? I mean, actually, it's it's a it, poker room, poker is booming everywhere in Las Vegas. So all of the casinos in Vegas, they need their own dealers. It's hard for them to, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's hard for the Rio to just you know, pop up overnight and recruit all the local dealers. And it's expensive to bring in for people from out of the country. So there's actually quite a few people there who are not experienced uh, dealers. And, you know, I think it's, you know, that's just the the nature of, of the thing. I mean, I, I don't know, I guess they have to make their own decisions. Uh, that actually seemed a little like it's my, my immediate reaction on hearing that was like, do they have to be fired on the spot? Like, is there not an opportunity to sort of like train them or, you know, people make mistakes on their, on their first day. Um, but I don't know, it's not really my place to like second guess the, those kinds of decisions. Um, my most egregious dealer story uh, didn't actually, it wasn't at the WSOP, but there was a, a time I had, um, you know, check raise, uh, check raised all in against someone when my, my own hand was not very good, but I, th- I thought that that person was, was bluffing and so wasn't going to call me. So it was not a very large raise. And, uh, the, the person asked how much more and the dealer's response was not that much more. <laughs> <I was> like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It kind of might, might be influencing the action there a little bit. Yeah. Just say a number. That's right. <laughs> oh, I love it. Well, um, I know a lot of uh, a lot of us are getting ready to head down. Um, some a lot of recreational players, maybe they're going to go and take a shot this year or play in a bracelet event that they might not play in otherwise. Um, when you are playing live, and especially in tournaments like this, when when someone sits down and you kind of get a sense that they're a less experienced player, what are some of the assumptions that you make about their playing style, and like how might you try and take advantage of them? And then later, I'm going to ask you how maybe we can defend against that kind of stuff when we're in that spot. At the WSOP specifically, it's often the opposite of what I might expect in a different context. You know, you you will often get the sense that this is a very special opportunity for this person. You know, they it may be a higher buy-in than what they usually play, or it might be they've traveled specifically to play this event, or you know, one of maybe three or four events. They're often they have sort of a WSOP budget, so it's right. not like, like when I'm playing a tournament, I have a bankroll and I have backers, and I'm like, if I'm if I think the tournament is a good deal, I'll keep re-entering it, and you know, if I if I this one, I might go play one somewhere else, or you know, it, it's all just sort of getting in hands for me. But my expectation is, I, I know that there's a lot of people out there at the WSB who are not approaching it that way. So, in fact, you may find that those people are sort of overly cautious, especially in the first few levels. I think sometimes people also have goals that are not necessarily directly associated with EV, right? There's like, I just want to make it through day one, or I just don't want to be the first person out. I want to go out very quickly. And so, you know, the expectation is they're probably not going to run huge bluffs in the first couple of levels. They might not make huge call downs. Um, you know, I think they're just sort of going to be cautious. Uh, I think that's sort of the, the overriding thing is just that expectation of that they have other conflicting goals besides just wanting to make the most plus EV decision at every opportunity. And uh, yeah, I mean, I'm a shark. I'm I'm thinking about how can I use that against you? Mm -hmm. So uh, it sounds like you're not going to be expecting recreational players to, like you say, sort of pull, make a big bluff in an early level. 
uh, or to call down light. So I'm guessing that on your end, you kind of exploit them by overfolding to the large raises and, or, you know, when they don't smell right and, uh, and executing more of those larger bluffs yourself uh, Mm -hmm. because you're just going to put them to the test where it's not likely that they have a, a great hand. Let me ask you as a seasoned pro, how do you, it feels like professional players have this like innate sense of when another player is weak. And that's really such a gift when it comes to choosing when to bluff very strongly. Um, How much of that is the front of your brain thinking about this player and the board texture and the action previously in the hand? And how much of it is just your brain telling you like, Oh, this player is weak. Let's just make a move here. You know what I mean? How much of it is internalized already? Yeah, that's a tricky question because I think kind of by definition, you don't necessarily have access to that second part. I mean, like the the whole point is that you're not fully intellectualizing it. Um, I mean, for me, at least, there's a lot of that frontline part. You know, like I'm I'm very kind of analytical and, you know, I mentioned the logic puzzles earlier. <laughs> like it is deductive logic for me. Um, so I think I probably rely more heavily on that first part than some people do but I mean the second part is a big deal, especially when you're playing with less experienced players. Who, uh, I mean, I, I guess I don't know if we've gotten to the part where I'm telling you how to avoid this yet, but just truly, like the less you say and do in a hand, the mm. better. I mean, chatting between, even honestly, like even chatting between hands is is kind of giving away information. Uh, you know, I am. Uh, I'll get that idea of like, oh, this person is just here for this weekend, or this person has never played the WSFP before. Like, all that is is stuff that I can't use against you. But really, I mean, in a hand is much more dangerous of uh, literally anything you say or do or your movements. Um, there is that danger of, even if I'm, it's, it's not always like, oh, he's left eye blink, he's bluffing, he's, he's weak. But you just get that general vibe coming off of someone of, oh, this person is uncomfortable or this person is, is excited. And the, the best way to avoid giving off that vibe is just to say and do as little as possible. Possible. Yep. That makes a lot of sense. Just playing defense from the standpoint of just giving away as little as possible. Yeah. Um, Tommy Angelo calls it uh mum poker. Mum poker. Yeah, that's right. Although we had him on the show recently and he said he's kind of moving away from mum poker and, and doing more socializing while he's playing and getting into it. So uh, he's, he's uh, fully a recreational player now. I think he's really enjoying it. We had a really fun conversation about that. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, I'm sort of like good for him, but also I mean, he says he's doing a lot better in the game too. He's he, yeah, So maybe he's just evolved as a player. Uh, so other than that, uh, you, you led me right to it, Andrew, other than that kind of, you know, just not giving out as much information as possible. What are some other, tips or, or exploits or techniques that inexperienced players can use to kind of give themselves the best chance of getting through that tournament? Uh, I think you want to be realistic about what your goals are. Um, yep. And I think there are reasons why, like, I don't, uh, you know, maybe I said it in a slightly mocking tone when I was talking about the you know, people, they're not going to play that many events. or they just really want to make it through day one or something. I mean, I think those are legitimate goals, but I think you should be explicit with yourself if if that is the goal and think about how you're going to build your strategy around that. Where like, if you're not going to be willing to make big call downs, then, you know, that might just mean playing tighter preflops so that you don't get into the kinds of spots where you might need to, um, to make big call downs. Uh, I see the Kim is recommending just start day two, which is an interesting one. So I, I do think that from a purely EV perspective, um, honestly like the i mean generally late registering is is sort of plus ev for everyone um from like an icm perspective just being able to enter later is 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 plus ev 
And in particular, for people who maybe don't have, you know, that, that like aren't necessarily favorites in the field or a lot better than people they're going to be playing against, like playing fewer hands can actually kind of be to your advantage. Um, but it is less fun. So, you know, if you're there and, and really your goal is like, I want to, I want this experience to last as long as possible. I mean, yes, you can guarantee you make day two by buying in on day two. But if what you really want is like, I want the experience of playing all of day one, um, then you, know, you, you do want to get there on time and then, you also want to, I guess, sort of anticipate in advance what kind of situation is going to be bad and get out of it early rather than like ending up in a big pot and then making a big fold because you're concerned about you know, conserving the last of your chips or something. But I also think ultimately like what you want is not just to like sit there and be dealt cards. Right? I mean, I think what a lot of people want is to play well. It's going to be a more satisfying experience if you feel like I, I gave it my all and I left it all in the field. And I think just understanding that like that might involve going out in, in the first couple of levels. And there's plenty of poker to be played in Las Vegas. So I know it's disappointing to like go out of a $1,500 tournament and go play in like an $80 daily. But I mean, it, you're still playing cards. Uh, you can still win big money in those $80 dailies if, if you get lucky. So I, and I think it might be a more positive experience for people if rather than thinking that like, or even, even, even if you know intellectually that this isn't true, just letting it creep into your head, that idea of like, well, something has gone wrong if I go out in level two, right? That's mm -hmm. like only a donkey would go out on level two. No, I mean, it's entirely possible to, to play perfectly well and, and go out on level two. So allowing yourself to accept that as a possibility rather than oh, this will be a disaster and it'll be a blow to my ego and I have to tell all my friends or people about action or whatever. I mean, anyone you're selling action to, you should make sure you're only selling to people who understand these things and understand mm. the risk they're taking. And they're not going to be asking you questions like, what do you mean you went out on a bluff? Right? Like, <laughs> I mean, I, I, it is a personal choice, but I think that being explicit with what are the trade-offs you're, you're willing to make and, and what really are your goals, uh, I think that would that would help a lot of people to sort of avoid running into um, situations where they don't feel like they have good options. That makes a lot of sense. So I'll, I'll just to take the curtain back. Kim's making fun of me in the chat here because uh, so I, I satellited into the main this year. It'll be my first time uh, playing in the main event, and I'm you know thirsty to enjoy every moment of it but i'm also you know i'd like to do as well as possible in it and i think uh um obviously everyone who's playing in the event is a favorite to lose so like no one no one should go into it thinking that they're they're going to win the uh win the tournament <clears throat> um but i'm i'm honestly kind of unsure about whether i should register in day one or day two and people keep telling me like yeah the experience of day one but the more experienced players that I talk to, they makes it sound as though like that's an experience that they'd rather just skip. <laughs> like, I guess, well, let me ask you, Andrews, like, is there a certain number of times that you've played the event, uh, the main event where like day one starts to feel like a grind or a drag or something like that? Or I, I honestly, I still enjoy the main event. There's not a lot of other poker tournaments where I'm like, yes, I actively want to be doing more of this than, but like really the, the main event is, is a pretty special thing. Uh, the one thing I will say that it has going for it is you would, you would like to make day five or, or day six. And if you do, you will have played really, really intense poker for long hours for several days in a row and subtracting one from that number of days that you've played is a, it's a quite a big deal. Mm -hmm. And I really felt this difference. You know, I've, I've been lucky enough to be deep several times in the main event and most recently in 2019. And I really felt fatigued on, on, uh, 
what was my last day um, of, of that event. And I remember I was thinking like, I don't remember feeling this tired the last time I was deep in this main event. And I said, well, you were eight years younger the last time. <laughs> deep in this event. Like, so, you know, I, I do think, uh, you know, I, I see a couple of uh, gray or bald uh, heads around our, our audience here. Um, <laughs> something to consider, you know, stamina is, is a real thing. You can choose your day one also. So you're choosing yep. a day one that enables you to have a day off between day two and day three. Uh, you'll appreciate that. Yep, that's a great point. Uh, the two earlier day ones, their day two is also a little earlier. Uh, so then there's a day off before day three. If you play in days one, C and D, just for our listeners at home, you'll play in the second day two, which then is followed immediately by uh, day three, which is when everyone joins. So that makes a lot of sense. Um, last question on that front. If you are registering for uh, day one, is there a, is there like a good day or a bad day? Is there a day that all the pros register for that you want to avoid or something like that? How would you, how would you guide yourself to choosing which day to register? I don't think it makes a huge difference. So I think that really choosing what makes the most sense for your schedule and, and probably like we discussed, trying to get that day off if possible. But I know some people have to take time off of work or something. It's easier for them to play a day that's closer. So often the last day one is generally considered the softest for exactly that reason, right? You'd rather mm-hmm. be playing with people who are taking days off of work than people who are booking a house for seven weeks and <laughs> playing the entire series. Yep. Uh, so trying to trying to play that last day, but then you don't get the day off between day two and, and day three. Um, the 4th of July, I think, is one of the start days yes. this year that's generally considered a less good day to play because on average, the non-Americans at the WSOP are much stronger than the average American who's there. Um, Even for a non-professional European, it's still a much bigger commitment for them to travel from Europe or somewhere um, to play rather than someone just driving from California to Las Vegas or something. So, you know, a lot more Americans are going to take off on the 4th of July. And uh, I guess ideally, if you can time it, like I think there was one year when maybe like Germany and England were playing in a soccer match against each other or something and that was like considered the day to play when all the, all the Europeans are going to be watching some football match. Oh, I love that. Well, those are those soft edges that you have to exploit, right? I mean, that's one game selection. I think people don't appreciate how important game selection is in the in the game of poker. Um so I want to talk a little bit about how to study and how to improve. Uh, you're a poker coach. Um, you've I've gotten coaching from Andrew in the past, and I'd encourage everyone to do it. Uh, Andrew's really good at uh, looking at your database and Poker Tracker 4. He's done a database review for me that really helped me open my eyes and helped me um, think about how I coach uh, beginner and intermediate players as well. Um, so obviously, one-to-one coaching is a great way. Uh, when you were learning more about the game yourself, I know it probably feels like a bit of a long time ago, the technology was completely different. Um, how did you improve your own game back then? And then I'll, I'll ask you afterwards about how people can improve today. Uh, I was big on books. I've always been a big reader even for you know, non, non-poker stuff. So I read all the, I mean, at that time, it was almost mostly like two plus two uh, was, was the main publisher. Um and then the two plus two forums also were a, a great uh, service. And I think those are not so great anyway. I mean, I go there sometimes to read gossip, but for actual like strategy content, it's been, I couldn't even tell you the last time I looked at like a strategy post on, on two plus two. Uh, so I think a lot of those conversations are now happening in, in you know, different places have like discord communities where I think you don't even necessarily have to be a paying member of a training site to get into their discord or something. So uh, you know, I think there are probably some like chat groups where you can maybe, maybe you all have your own, um, that that just having that kind of 
community. Uh, of course, it's great if you can find people who are better than you, but even just having peers, just having that impetus to talk about hands and the motivation to, to be studying things together, I think that's really useful. Uh, and then you know, the training videos and that kind of thing are so much more advanced than they were when I was starting out in terms of the content that's being presented, but also the way that you're presenting content. Uh, you know, it used to be the standard video was someone would just kind of sit down and start playing and click record and sort of babble while they were playing and whatever came out, came out. And I think a lot more effort now goes into, I mean, speaking for myself, but also other people whose videos that I've seen of experimenting with the format and thinking ahead of time about what are the concepts that I want to present and, you know, making slides and choosing example hands that actually demonstrate those things. And even, you know, like you mentioned technology, obviously solvers are a huge thing that didn't uh, exist, in, you know, at least consumer as a consumer facing thing until about five years ago. And I, I don't really think it makes sense for for most people to be doing their own solver work, like unless you're already a very high level player, it's a pretty big, really even more so than the money of the time that goes into learning to use one well. But I mean, I think that is one of the benefit of training videos or even some, some books now. Essentially what you're doing is you're paying someone else to do the solver work for you and then present you with like the high level takeaways. And the people who are really good at that can even you know kind of help you navigate because the solver, I mean, they're great, but it's a really overwhelming output to look at just this grid of all this like mixed strategies and uh, you know having having a guide through that to call your attention to the things that are important. Uh, I think that's really valuable. So I think at this point there's really no reason to, like you shouldn't really be learning from people who are not giving you uh, solver informed insights. Um, but that doesn't that's not the same as saying that you should be doing your own solver work. I, I don't think that makes sense for most people. Yeah, that's been a, a recurring theme in a lot of these mm -hmm. interviews that we've done. Uh, with pros saying that, you know, the solver work is very valuable, but it takes a lot of time and uh, there's sort of an opportunity cost to doing that yourself. And that there's lots of people out there who are really, really good at working with solvers and distilling that information and doing it quickly and efficiently. And um, that it's a real, uh, it's a real benefit to have them sort of be the curator of that knowledge and sort of like help you show you the results and help you understand uh, what that means for your poker game and that sort of thing. And I think that's, that makes perfect sense to me. Um, is there, is there, uh, are there a few people in your mind that you think are like really good at that? Who, who do you look to now when you're trying to get advice or to, to talk to someone to brush up things that you're not sure of? Um, let's see, I guess some of the stuff that I've been watching most recently, um, so I've been making videos for uh, Solve for Why now. I've been doing some content for them, which means I also get access to their content. It's amazing. Uh, yeah. And there's, so when I'm talking about people who are like innovating what you can do with uh, video training, I, I think they're far and away in terms of the, the format and, and the, the ways that different ways that they're presenting information. Um, I think there's a lot of good stuff on there. Of the people on that site, Matt Hunt is probably the one who's most my speed in terms of how he like thinks about the game and how he presents things. Um, so I think his material on there is, is really good. In particular, there's um, he has a series on there that's called Three's a Crowd, which is about using solvers to look at multi-way spots, mm -hmm. um, which, you know, almost all like if my books, for instance, entirely about heads up situations. And that's because multi-way solvers are, are fairly new. And uh, this is really the first time that I see there might be other material out there that I'm not familiar with, but this is the first time that I've seen someone really break down. I felt like I learned a ton 
from that, uh, where it was not entirely, I mean, obviously I have a lot of experience playing multi-way pots and I've tried to think about how to apply concepts to multi-way pots, but um, I, mean, I felt like I learned a ton from actually seeing someone show show work to back up uh, certain things that I believed or certain things that, that I wasn't sure about. Uh, and then the other one I've been in liking is uh, Patrick Leonard has a course on, um, uh, what's the name of that site? Uh, Phil yeah, Galfons, uh, run it, not run, run it. Yeah, it is run it once. Run it up? Yeah, run it once. Yeah, run yeah. it once. Yeah, yeah. sorry. Yeah, run, that's it. run it once and run it up are so familiar, are so similar to each other. Um, <laughs> I was going to say run it once and it's called pads on pads. That's right. Yes. There you go. Uh, and I think that's also very good. And it's, it's the same thing where, you know, he, it is solver based. You know, he, he kind of goes through uh, everything is very solver informed, but he's pulling out big picture trends and kind of highlighting them and saying, like, here are the takeaways from this there's not an expectation that you're necessarily doing the solver work yourself yeah that's great and that's kim chipping in there uh kim's very familiar with uh solvers and uh solve for why we love solve for why here too they're one of our uh learning partners so if folks want to come and get a taste of solve for why uh you can watch a lot of their videos free here included with your premium membership and it is very it really is cutting edge and it's it's an exploitative style that i think is very different from a lot of the other uh learning material out there that's really exciting and fun um so speaking about learning materials so andrew you've got a new book out essential poker concepts volume two um this is sort of a collection of previously written uh, uh articles and essays by you in various different um, publications that you've put together here um, and what, what can we expect if we open this up? What are we going to find in here? It is hopefully entertaining collection of, uh, and these are like very short essays. So, you know, like 1500 ish words, which would be kind of the equivalent of like maybe two to three pages on word, uh, just to give people an idea of how long these are. So these are like little quick hits of poker thoughts uh, for people who are familiar with my, uh, play optimal poker books. Um, in many ways, this is kind of the opposite of that. Like the playoffable poker books are really rigorous, kind of establishing uh, an, an idea and like building it up over time uh, very methodically. And these articles, uh, I mean, in some cases, exploring the same context. As you mentioned, these are these are articles that I wrote a few years ago for 2 Plus 2 Magazine before I had published the playoffable poker books. So in some cases, you know, it was interesting to look back over the stuff that I had written and to see, you know, as early as maybe like 2013 or 2014, I was already playing around with these ideas that I ended up publishing in a book in, in 2019. Um, so that, that was interesting for me to, to see. And uh, you know, I was careful about what I chose because you know not everything that I wrote in 2013 necessarily stands up where I'm like proud sure. of it now, uh, nine years later, but uh, much of it did. And you know, I looked at, I looked through it to make sure that it was still something that I was, uh, you know, that I would want to share, share with the world that there's not like wrong information in there. Um, and then some of it is dealing with software skills, like what we were talking about earlier of being explicit about what are your, like, of course, everyone wants to make money when they play poker, but what else is important to you besides that? I think even for people who are professionals, like, honestly, if the only thing you cared about was making money, you could probably make more of it doing something other than poker. So yep. there's something else you're looking for besides just making money. I think the more explicit you are with that, um, with, with yourself about that, you can make better decisions about what games it makes sense for you to play and how to approach those games and how to get better and how to navigate the conflicts that might come up between wanting to make money and wanting to, uh, you know, be respected by your peers or something like that. 
So a fair number of the essays are dealing with uh, what you might call soft skills like that, or dealing with the frustrations of poker, um, thinking about how to get better at poker and how to concentrate um, your efforts and what might be uncomfortable about getting it better at poker and how to overcome that that resistance. So just you know, uh, essays on a lot of those different uh, topics. Nice. And is that available at knitcast.com? Yeah, the ebook is available at knitcast.com. That's in a few different uh, ebook formats, like an EPUB or a PDF or a Kindle. And then uh, Amazon for, uh, if you want paper, you have to get that through Amazon. Uh, and then, of course, you can get a Kindle version through Amazon as well. Right on. Uh, Chris? Oh, Andrew, I just I, I wanted to kind of jump in and and you know from my you know talk a little bit about um, some of the concepts that have been in your books, um, particularly around the toy games. You mentioned puzzles as being something that sort of drives you intellectually around like inside and outside of poker. Um, but then for me, Play Optimal Poker, um, one of your first books that came out, really helped me solidify my understanding of concepts of GTO, and it did this through this exploration of sort of the idea of toy games. Um, and I'm wondering, number one, um, as you've thought, and because you, and you've continued to play around with that concept a little bit in some of your coaching and some of your, your teaching and some of your other writing, and I'm wondering if you can talk a little bit about toy games. And I guess in particular, the question I wanted to ask you was, is there a variation of based on all that kind of thinking you've done around that and around your the kind of puzzles and toy games, is there a variation of poker that you, that you wish would exist or you think like could take the game and another step forward? You know, I've heard people mention like adding a fifth suit or, you know, like some of those kinds of things. Is there anything that you can imagine that would make poker even that more, more much more interesting? Okay, I have a lot to say about this, and I'm excited about the second part of that question. So if I forget to answer it, please please prompt me again to, to talk about the variations on the game. Um, in terms of toy games, I guess I'll say first for people who, who may not know what those are, it, the, a toy game is like a kind of a simplified version of poker that really just boils it down to a single concept and enables you to focus on that one concept. So when you play a game like No Limit Hold'em, there are a lot of different things going on. There are lots of different hand values. There are lots of different hands that you can make. Hands change value as new cards come out. You can choose different bet sizes. And there's strategy there's position, like strategy, there's strategy attached to every single one of those things. So there's tons of different skills that go into playing No Limit well. And if you want to understand one of those concepts in isolation, a toy game can help you like, what if we just forget about hands changing values? And we can just think about, you know, that helps us to think more about bet size, for instance, or decisions of which streets to bet. Um, so a, a toy game is, is a way of simplifying, sometimes simplifying it extremely. So like the early examples in Play Optimal Poker just involve being dealt a single card from a three card deck. It's either an ace or a king or a queen. And the goal is just have a bigger card than your opponent hands don't change value there's no new cards that are dealt that's like you can recognize the similarity to poker but of course it's a much much simpler game than no limit hold i mean we could even play that game without raising and then make the game simpler so the idea is to kind of boil it down to its very simplest form to understand uh crystallize your understanding of some of the core concepts and then start to add things back in so okay now let's add raising and see how that changes the game now let's add the possibility of multiple streets of betting and see how that changes the game and you can learn one at a time what do each of these elements of the game 
add? Uh, you know, what is their like strategic significance? And you can think about them in isolation, which I find useful. Uh, you know, I, not everybody's brain works the same way. I understand that I have like a kind of highly logical uh, brain. I, I like, I have a philosophy degree. I like understanding things from first principles. That's not how everyone approaches things. Um, so I actually kind of tricked people with Play Optimal Poker too. Uh, there was a lot of feedback on Play Optimal Poker. Some people you know, didn't really care for toy games or had trouble connecting with them. So everything in Play Optimal Poker 2, well, almost everything in Play Optimal Poker 2 looks like a real no limit hand. Um, the, you know, you're dealt two cards and, and uh, the betting rules are, are similar to no limit and, and that kind of thing. But the truth is they're still toy games. Uh, anything that's done with a solver is a toy game. When you work with a solver, you are introducing artificial constraints. You're telling the solver, you're not actually solving no limit hold'em. You're solving a restricted game where only certain bet sizes are allowed. Solvers don't consider every possible bet size on every street. Uh, if you're good at setting up a solve, which is part of why I say it doesn't make sense for most people to do their own solver work, because that's a skill in and of itself, learning how to give a solver an input that will give you an interesting output or meaningful output. But people who, who know how to put them together well, one of the skills there is how can I simplify the game without taking away something important? So if you don't give a player, you know, if, if when you're inputting the, the, the betting options for the solver, if you don't allow one player the opportunity to raise for instance, that dramatically changes the bottom strategy, right? If you could bet and have no fear of getting raised, that's going to make it, that's going to have huge implications for your betting strategy. So, you know, the, it, it doesn't necessarily matter as much. Like, is it important that you be allowed to raise 60% of the pot versus 40% of the pot? That's maybe not such an important difference. So understanding, you know, how can I simplify the game without losing anything that's too important? That's a skill. So everything in, or most of what's in Play Optimal Poker 2 looks a lot more like what we would call real poker situations, but they are still toy games. There are still constraints attached to them. And I think that's useful for, um, for learning. In terms yeah. of, you know, how could, I'm oh, sorry, did you want to jump in? No, I just wanted to make sure you were prompted. To, right? <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, just, just me telling you to prompt me was partly me like storing that in my head to prompt myself. Uh, yeah, so in terms of changing the game, there's one thought that I had for a long time, like even before solvers existed, I always thought it would be kind of interesting if, you know, they do that like 50K Players Championship at the WSOP. Um, and I really thought like the, the true test of skill would be what if everyone played a game that had never been played before? So it, there wasn't a possibility to, you know, memorize strategies or anything like that. It truly was just a test of like, how well do you understand core poker concepts? And, you know, I, mean, I don't think it's you know, feasible to, to do this maybe, but if you could like randomize how many betting streets there were, randomize, is this a draw game or is this a um, limit or a no limit game? And if you're I don't know, roll dice or pull numbers from a hat or whatever. Uh, I, that could be kind of interesting. That's like an idea that I've <laughs> toyed around with for a while. And then more recently, I think there's been, you know, and I, I think we probably will need to innovate in this direction, at least for online poker. Is, you know, people have been thinking about how can we change the game in a way that um, will make it harder for, for solvers to address in real time. I mean, right now we're kind of at the cusp. I, I, honestly, I don't even keep up with this stuff quite as much as, as I probably should, but I mean, we're pretty close to the point where people can be, you know, solving things in real time. And this is something that like chess and backgammon and some other games have had to deal with for, for a long time. And my understanding is like, they don't have great solutions. Like I think people just don't play backgammon or chess for money online. <laughs> uh, and, and poker is, is 
going to, we're already kind of confronting that problem and we're going to be confronting it a lot more in the next couple of years. So I think like what Run at Once, the, the poker site, uh, did, which was pretty interesting, was you know the, the way that they did rake back, they had what was called splash the pot, where they would sometimes just randomly add money to the pot. And that by itself, that's a huge change of the game. If there's like three extra big blinds in the middle of the pot, everything is out the window. Like starting ranges are dramatically different if there's more money in, in the pot to fight over. And you're not going to be able to, you know, a solver is not necessarily going to be able to address that in, in real time. So like that's an example of that. I've seen other people suggest like, what if you exposed a single card and, and took it out of the deck, which is already a thing that could happen accidentally. But what if we did that on purpose? You know, at, before we, everyone gets dealt a pre-flop hand and then we expose a single card throw it away. You know, that's, that card's not going to be dealt. And that will have, you know, it'll be a smaller change, but the the solution to that game will be different. And it's that's theoretically something a solver could address, but you couldn't just open a book as you could now and look at solved preflop ranges for that game because it's really 52 different games, right? <laughs> with with uh, uh, 52 different cards that could be removed. So I, I think we're going to see some, or I hope we see some innovation in that direction because otherwise online poker at least is going to be in trouble. Yeah, I really like that line of thinking about it. I, I'm I love backgammon, and you're completely correct that it it killed the game. You can't play online for money uh, because you're just playing against bots that are going to be playing perfectly, and it uh, it really I, I do see that coming for poker, at least in the in the solved games that we're coming across, like No Limit Hold'em has you know varieties of bet sizing that make it a little harder to solve than some other. Uh, games, but the technology is getting there. And I think we're seeing it at the highest levels now, but it's only a matter of time until um, we have to kind of start playing offense, I think, and, and not playing defense on some of this stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, we got a couple uh, comments. I just want to catch up with the chat here. So uh, Kim says, in summarizing our day one, day two uh, discussion, so for a complete main event experience, you're better off playing day one C or one D. Uh, but to maximize your EV and your best shot at going for the money, start day two um, and just get, get start that much closer to it. I think that makes a lot of sense. Um, and John says, I like to think of these toy games as simplified models instead of toy games. Uh, yeah, I think that's getting at exactly the same, the same thing that Andrew was talking about there. Um, so Joseph in the YouTube chat says, exposing a random card could be a bracelet event. I'd play it. Yep, I think that's a good one. <laughs> uh, Martha just wants you to know that you're an interesting and thoughtful uh, guest, Andrew. So there you go. You got that. You can put Thank that you on, your, on your resume. Um, Type Login says, uh, chess kind of does the random gaming variation with chess 960 uh, or Fisher Random, which I'm not actually familiar with that. But, uh, uh, I, I almost made that analogy myself, but yeah, I, mean, I don't. I don't really know that much about chess. I know exactly that much. Yeah, <laughs> I, I know that that exists. I don't know a lot more about it. <laughs> nice, uh, Kim. Why don't you jump in there with something? Um. Yeah. No, I have a couple of questions. Um, one's sort of general, and one's more personal. But the general question is like the hot spots in poker today on the social social media side seem to be women in poker and cheaters in poker. So I don't want to talk about the cheaters. I want to talk about the women in poker. And I want to know if you have any thing to add to how you think we might get more women into the game. Like Um, it's the same, it seems to be the same old thing coming around, but. I just watched a great conversation between uh, two of these people have been guests on my podcast. The third, I, I hope to have one soon. Um, 
uh, Jen Chahadi, who some of you uh, may know, uh, you know, chess in addition to, to poker, um, a woman named Dr. Kamikaze, uh, who's like a mixed game player, and uh, Jen Jacobs is the, the third person. Um, and this is available on Twitch at uh, thepokermix.ca, I think, or the, the Poker Mix is the, the name of the Twitch channel. Pokermix.ca is, is Cammy's um, website. But uh, there's about two and a half hours of the three of them talking, and they all have somewhat different perspectives on this, but, you know, they clearly, like, respect each other. And um, so, I mean, I, I think essentially it's like you need to ask women and, and you know, like understand what are the barriers to them. Uh, I mean, I think part of it is like how much of a priority is it actually, right? I mean, it's like, yes, it would be, I mean, I think, I don't think there are any, very many poker site operators who don't want women playing. The question is like, what are you, what risks are you willing to take or what sacrifices are you, are you willing to make? So like one of the examples that came up in there is like, what about childcare, right? I mean, if you wanted more women to come, probably providing like on-site childcare would make that easier. Um, I feel like if you tried to offer that suggestion to any of the people who go on Twitter and are like, well, what are we supposed to do? We've been trying these same things. Like all those people would sort of be like, well, we're not going to offer child care. You know, <laughs> so it's, I mean, so it's not like the ideas aren't out there. Uh, you know, I feel like some people have an idea of just sort of like what's reasonable or, or what they're willing to do. Um, and then, you know, the other one that, that I remember coming up in that conversation was you know, really taking seriously the kind of like harassment or abuse that, that happens at the table. And, you know, I think everyone is subject to this to some degree. Like I've certainly had people treat me at the table in ways that, that I didn't like, but uh, I get the impression that women are exposed to, to more of this and, you know, have reason to expect <laughs> that they're going to be exposed to, to more of this. And I think there's also a feeling of um, when it happens, I mean, obviously it sucks when it happens, but also if it happens and it feels like kind of people are okay with it or it's allowed to happen that's like its own bad experience on top of the you know having having been abused so uh, and I, I think to some degree like there is a correlation between people that the casino really wants to have there you know people with the kind of impulse control problems that make them very profitable gamblers um there's probably some correlation there to people who uh treat their their opponents or their female opponents badly and you know, it may just be that the casinos are like as much as they would like to have women there playing when push comes to shove, like they'd rather have the, you know, drunk millionaire who is mean to women. And if they have to choose between those two people, you know, they're going to go where the money is. And I don't know what exactly to to do about that. But mm -hmm. I think, you know, making explicit that that's what's happening um, maybe is a useful first step. Right. Well, I think the poker operators clamping down on abusive behavior is probably a lot more of a thing we might get to happen than the child care. <laughs> I think yeah. This is probably not going to happen. Can I ask my second question? Get in there. Okay. So on a personal note, I'm studied player in all sorts of sulfur Y, pads on pads, raise your edge, learn pro poker, tournament edge. I need, what is the best way to bring all of that knowledge together in an old brain? <laughs> um, <laughs> or an aging brain. Let's not go old. An aging brain. Yeah. Is that to get a personal coach or is it to somehow, like I just can't seem to, like I keep jumping around from information to information and I can't seem to bring it all together cohesively. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I'm sure aging brain doesn't help, but I, I don't think that's the central problem. I mean, I, I, a lot of the people who come to me for, for one-on-one coaching of, of all different ages are reporting that same issue of, you know, there, there's tons of content out there, but like, how do I sort through it or, or how do I prioritize? Uh, and I do think I do think prioritizing, like I think a coach can certainly help you determine like what are the skills that you should be working on. But I think making a choice of like wanting to act, wanting to work on a specific skill. Um, so like, I really want to work on hand reading. And rather than just sort of consuming poor content generally, watching whatever training video happens to be next in the series that you are watching or listening to whatever poker podcast, whatever guest happens to be on your favorite poker podcast today, you're really having a sense of like, I'm trying to study hand reading right now. And then you're seeking out material on hand reading. You know that when you go to play poker, hand reading is the main thing you're going to be working on. And you make some tangible progress on hand reading and then you decide to work on something else. Uh, you know, a, a coach may be able to like that is a big part of what I do is kind of helping people to determine what order to, to do those things in uh, and, and provide some of that structure. But I think it is feasible to do that for yourself also. And I think structuring is the most important thing because, I mean, there, you know, there's plenty of content that's out there and it's certainly not hurting you to, um, to bring it in. But I think bringing it in in a more thoughtful and structured way is going to be more useful than just having like the fire hose. Yeah. And I've also heard um, from clients that just having some accountability and some structure and just like a sense of what you're going to be working on after this uh, can help people kind of stay on track and really get the most out of it um, because the motivation can be an issue as well. Kim, did you have something else there? No, no, I just disconnected for the first part of his answer. So I'll have to go back and watch it. Oh. But thank you very much for this good part. <laughs> Bad timing. <laughs> oh, well, we just got. Signing up for private coaching, I think, but I'm like, that's what I got. So. Yeah. Well, I don't think, you know, there's so many good people out there to work with these days that it's really just about finding the right fit for you. And, uh, you know, Kim, you're such a savvy player. Um, I'm sure just having someone that you could talk to and to fall, sort of set a path for you, I think, uh, would work wonders. So, um Andrew, if folks do want to get in touch with you about uh, coaching, which I would personally recommend and I'd encourage everyone to go and uh, book some of your time, uh, what's the best way for them to reach out to do so when they want to connect? Uh, my website is thinkingpoker.net, uh, thinkingpoker.net slash coaching. Uh, there's information on there about coaching. Or obviously, there's a you know link that says coaching on thinkingpoker.net that you can click. Uh, I'm at thinkingpoker on Twitter, Andrew at thinkingpoker.net if you want to just email me. Um, you're basically, however, you uh, I'm not too hard to find on, on the internet. And uh, where, you know whatever means you have of, of contacting me, I'll get back to you in that same uh, format. And I can answer whatever questions you have. And you know, as you mentioned, there's one-on-one -on -one coaching. There's the books. I have training videos, different places. I also you know, make like a customized video as I did for you where people can send me a hand history or a database and I'll like record my thoughts. And that's kind of an in-between, like pricing-wise, it's cheaper than doing like one-on-one -on -one via you know, Skype or something, but uh, you know, more than, than a book would be. Yep. And extremely, extremely valuable folks. So I'd encourage everyone to do that. Uh, last question from YouTube chat. This from, this comes from Joseph Coolis, who I know is a big fan of the Thinking Poker podcast. I'm a big fan of Joseph Coolis's. <laughs> he wants to know, uh, can you just comment on how much better you are than Harrington in every way? I actually got myself in some trouble for doing that a long time ago. But <laughs> I was going to say, there must be a story here. I, I, I wrote a pretty scathing review of one of the Harrington books. And uh, yeah, but um, yeah, I don't know if uh, Harrington is really still, I, I don't get the impression that he is like in the mix that much <laughs> anymore. I think he, 
I mean, as, as I would, uh, if, if I had the sort of, uh, income that he did, I think I would just be chilling. Yep. Yep. That's right. Uh, and we got one more comment here from crazy gamble series joining us in the, uh, in the YouTube chat poker breeds from straight up gambling fools, uh, upwards or straight up math, like nerds downwards finds a happy medium. So yeah, you got to find a path for you. Uh, crazy gamble series. That's right. All right. Well, Andrew, this is such a pleasure. I know we got some good information out there for some folks looking to uh, take their game to the next level. We told them where they can reach you. Um, at once once we say goodbye near the end of the uh, episode here, we'll do a contest. We'll do a draw where folks can win a copy of Essential Poker Concepts Volume 2. Uh, so folks, if you're watching along on YouTube, just type the word contest in the chat right now. And then once we're finished talking about the uh, home game results and everything, uh, we'll roll a die and get ourselves a winner. Um, but in the meantime, Andrew, thank you so much. I so relish these opportunities to talk. And um, I know I won't see you in Vegas, but I hope our paths do cross again sometime real soon. Thank you all very much. Have a good night. All right. Take care. So, John Somsky, another week in the world of rec poker, another week of rec poker home game winners. How do you do it, man? Well, I set them up and they will come. <laughs> that was a Field of Dreams reference for those of you who weren't alive then. Some of those other gray hairs in our audience, right? Yeah. <laughs> so we had uh, our No Limit Hold'em Championship Series on June 1st, and none other than the great Come Binkley, Eric Jim ah. got his first victory of the year, second lifetime. He's due. Eric, where have you been, man? We're used to you winning these left, right, and center. Congratulations, bud. Uh, then for our the nightly series on May 30th, Glassjaw 2222, Dave Shun got his first nightly victory for the year. Nice. Now then KB, Doug Barron got his fourth of the year. Just such a good stacking guy. them up. Doug's awesome. Uh, JD Cat, Jeff. 32. Jeff Catalano got his first nightly victory for the year. And PCS 2005, Jack got his second nightly victory of the year. And he's been on a tear lately because then we have M. Babker, Michael Babker, he got his third nightly victory for the year. But then we come back to PCS 2005, Jack LaRue. He got his second daily mixed practice. Oh, wow. Those, those are not easy to win. No. And now we have East Coast, Coast bitter Ben. Ben. In a way for a while, got his first international victory for the year. <laughs> Seven high 11, John Crowell John. got his first international victory for the year. Nice. And then to sum it all up, we're back to PCS 2005, Jack LaRue, won the LPP Sunday event, so you can contact Jim at rec.poker to get your free month at Learn Pro Poker. That is right. And uh, that's so cool because I just gave Jack a shout out like two weeks ago on the podcast, I think, talking about how encouraging and positive uh, and how he's always smiling and having a great time when he's in the room. And there he is, just crushing, crushing souls out there in the home game. That's beautiful. Uh, nicely done, Jack. And sorry, uh, who did you say won the LPP uh, Sunday night tournament there, John? Jack. Oh, it was Jack as well. Okay, Jack. It was Jack. Oh, Jack. my God. He won okay. three tournaments this week. That's phenomenal. Well, Jack, you know, send me that Amazing. email, Jim at rec.poker, and we'll get you your free month at Learn Pro Poker. Uh, you're going to love it. And, and I did get an email from Kelly 
I guess we should give her the free month. Although I maintain that we shouldn't let Kelly Stork get any better at poker. So I'm considering giving her like a fake code that she'll just get an error message or something. So Kelly, oh, but I've already said that on the air. Oh no. Uh, Kelly, yeah, just enter that code like normal. I'm sure that'll work perfectly. And Jack, I'll send you the real code. Don't worry. We'll get all taken care of. And just one other thing. Don't forget that on June 18th, which should be just a few days after this podcast comes out at one o'clock p.m., on Saturday, Central Time, there will be the Heads Up event. So if the winner of that Heads Up event gets an automatic entry into Marek Madness. Yeah, that's a lot of fun. There's no late registration for that one. Don't forget, folks. So uh, Saturday, June 18th, uh, 1 o'clock Central, 2 o'clock Eastern. Get in that lobby a few minutes early and sign up for that uh, for that event because that's going to be a lot of fun. We also had our first uh, fun country event this we week, right? Did. So, so who won that? Well, we actually had two winners this week. I was happy to announce uh, one of them is in the room right now, our very own Kim Kilroy. Uh, oh. pet, pet vet got to take one down. And Evil Roy uh, took one down as well. Dave, uh, who's a uh, very involved Tuesday night OPA participant. So I was glad to see the OPA crowd taken down the hardware. And so every Tuesday night, all our premium members are invited to come and play in this fun country online play and hang. There's going to be a nine person tournament every week. The first nine folks to sign up, get to play. And then the winner gets a $50 Amazon gift card. So uh, that's pretty, and that, and, and listen, even though the two winners this week were Canadian, that Amazon gift card is in us dollars. So, mm-hmm. You got a little extra, little extra cream on your on your muffins. It's your value. <laughs> yeah, <my exactly>. <laughs> <laughs> I've been watching. I've been. I've been listening to way too many of the Poker Guys uh, podcasts lately because I I go through cycles where I'm like, catching up on some of my podcasts. And I got to stop listening to Jonathan because I tend to mimic the people that I listen to a lot. And I'm like doing this real Jonathan vibe over the last two weeks of the podcast here. And there's only one Jonathan Levy. I don't know if uh, extra cream I, on your muffin. Yeah, that's, that's exactly where, we, where that's, it came from. We just get... <laughs> yeah, you got a little extra cream on your muffin. That's that's Jonathan right there. I hold him responsible for that. <laughs> yeah, I think one Jonathan Levy is plenty. <laughs> Not that no, I, I enjoy having that one, but that's enough. <laughs> How does one collect their $50 Amazon gift card I'm gonna, in US I'm, dollars? Ooh, yes. No, I'm going to take care of all that magically behind the scenes because I already have all our premium members' contact information. I'm going to let Scott over at Fun Country know about it, and uh, he'll get that to you directly. Uh, so that's exciting. And every week now, for the next few months, come out on Tuesday night. If you're a premium member, make 50 bucks the easy way. Uh, just have to beat eight other Rec Poker premium members in our Fun Country OPA. So go check that out. That's going to be a lot of fun for sure. And we did tease at the top, uh, Rec Poker Weekend is coming up. So uh, that's going to be June 24th and 25th at Running Aces Hotel Racetrack and Casino. We're going to have a tournament series. I'm going to play as a bounty in some of them. There's going to be some other prizes. We're going to do some bomb pots. And the uh, player of the series who gets the most points throughout the entire tournament series is going to win uh, 200 bucks in Lammers, I think, to tournaments at Running Aces, plus uh, an annual, a free year of premium membership at Rec Poker and some other fun stuff like that. So that's going to be a lot of fun as well. Um, and then don't forget, if you're in Las Vegas on Monday, June 27th, it's time for the Rec Poker Meetup. It's going to be at 10 a.m., somewhere very close to the Grand Ballroom at Valleys. We don't know exactly. I will where. post it in the travel group. Yes, we'll get that all posted up in the, in the forums there. 
we'll probably share that uh, a few places. Um, yeah, type login. Has anyone mimicked the Rec Poker podcast? Often imitated, never duplicated. You know, it's just the highest form of flattery is what I like to think there, uh, Joe. Um, and speaking of uh, podcast events coming up, so we, we do have some folks traveling around. So we're going to be adjusting the schedule a little bit. Some folks will notice on June 20th, which is my birthday, by the way. How am I celebrating it? I get to do two podcast interviews. We're actually, we are going to interview the, uh, the poker guys that day. Um, it's at an earlier recording time because they couldn't make the usual time. So on June 20th, uh, make sure you check the, I'll put twerp out that week, letting people know. And twerp this week in rec poker. Um, it's our free newsletter. You can sign up on the homepage. I send it out once a week with a full itinerary of what's going on that week. And it's a really great way to kind of keep in touch with what's happening in the evenings around here and uh, what you don't want to miss. So I'll, I'll send that out as well. But we're also going to be interviewing uh, Kara Scott uh, from the heart of uh, poker that day as well. Um, it, that'll also be earlier in the day and we'll be releasing that a little later on as well. So if folks see a couple changes in the schedule for June, it's just because with WSOP coming on, folks are traveling around and some events get, might get postponed or moved around or something like that, but it's going to be a lot of fun. Okay. Should we do the contest here? Let's just, so I see, I'm going to start, I'm going to roll a die here. I'm going to start at the top. And so, uh, let me see from evil Roy down. And let's see who the winner is this week. It is Type Login. Joe, you won, my man. So, uh, Joseph uh, Foss, uh, Type Login, now that I'm doxing you. And everyone knows what your real name is and your uh, handle on YouTube. Because <laughs> I'm not that savvy when it comes to these kinds of things. But send me an email, please, sir. And I will make sure that you get a copy of that uh, download link and you can enjoy that. Sorry, Kim, didn't quite make it, but next week. Yeah, I know, sorry. You got enough You got enough perks coming up down here through your position on the Wrecking Crew. Um, okay, well, what else? We, we must be getting pretty close to uh, to the end of it here. What's what, Chris, what else is going on that's exciting and interesting and fun in, in Wreck Poker Land these days? Uh, well, we're, you know, we're really spending our month here. Uh, the uh, videos have been released about seabedding and position, and I am working right now on the July uh, topic, which is seabedding out of position, So, um, which is a very different beast. And that's, I think, the one that maybe people struggle with more. So I'm, I'm really excited to have these conversations uh, kind of back to back. So those, are, those will be our next two deep dives um, in terms of our premium content. And and if you are listening to this uh, live on, on YouTube, then you're going to have a chance on Wednesday, June 8th to join me and Sky Matsuhashi in our monthly The Focus. Uh, so as Chris points out, this month we're focusing on seabedding in position. So Sky is going to be showing us how to use Poker Tracker 4 uh, to get the most out of that enviable spot. So filters we can run, reports we can run, um, how to encounter those kind of circumstances. We'll probably talk a little bit about sizing. We'll talk about different flop textures and how to proceed. And uh, uh, every month we, we focus on a different tool on how to get the most out of that uh, theme. So I'm looking forward to that with Sky Matsuhashi. And then I guess the following Wednesday on uh, June 15th at 8 p.m. Eastern, uh, sorry, that's not right, at 9 p.m. Eastern, there is going to be our monthly Unshuffled Mixed Game uh, demo with Jake uh, Hirschfield from Unshuffled. So every month we're going to be looking at a different uh, mixed game and uh, going through his platform, Unshuffled, trying to figure out 
how to play it, how to teach it to other people. And then that'll be the, that game will be the theme of the month, the next month in our rec poker home game series. So if you like mixed games, 2022 is the year we're getting more into it here at rec poker. Um, come join our mixed game group and get more involved in that. Well, I think other than that, we just got the usual 33 things every freaking day around here. Lord knows it's hard to uh, get through a day of uh, rec poker without getting involved in a couple home games, some live Zoom learning sessions, some fun strategy discussions. It's just got a lot going for it. So without any further ado, I want to thank our wrecking crew members, um, Rob, Kim, Chris, and John for joining me here in the show, and Woody in the YouTube chat, along with uh, two Joes in the in the uh, YouTube chat this week, and Dave and Martha and Crazy Gamble Series, and let me see, oh, website M, and running Aces Hotel, and you have 